Welcome to a collaboration between the BJSM podcast and the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Associate Professor Peter Meliaris. So Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Karen. Great to be here. So what I would love from you is if you could tell the listeners a little bit more about you and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I am an Associate Professor at Monash University, and uh, I my main interest and uh, research interest, I guess you could say, is tendinopathy research. And I've been um, active in that space since around about 2001, uh, since I started my PhD. And I also work um, uh, in a clinic in Melbourne. Today, we're going to talk about a systematic review from 2013 that was in sports, published in Sports Medicine that uh, you were a part of. And one of the main outcomes there was, what is the optimal exercise program for patellar and Achilles tendinopathies? At the time when we had the idea to publish that paper, the, um, the most popular exercise intervention for um, lower limb tendinopathy, and particularly Achilles and patella, was eccentric training. And we were a bit uh, frustrated by that because our clinical experience was that it didn't actually uh, work for everyone. So you could say that we're a little bit biased against eccentric training. So we wanted to look at the literature and see, uh, is there actually evidence that eccentric training is superior to other types of exercise? And what did you find? What other types of exercises were available and how did they compare? So the main uh, exercise uh, programs for the Achilles tendon uh, that we identified in the literature uh, is, um, of course, the eccentric program. So that was that was definitely um, uh, investigated in a number of uh, studies. Um, the other one is the combined, what we call the combined Silbernagel uh, program. So it's um, from Karen Silbernagel's lab. Um, and uh, she does a very combined program of uh, starting off with concentric, eccentric, moving on to isolated eccentric. And then she also does um, faster concentric, eccentric, which she calls plyometric. So that's a very progressive program. Um, and then the other one uh, was the heavy, slow resistance, which is basically heavy gym loading that people do three times a week. Um, and that's different to the other programs in that the Alfredson and the Silbernagel, generally you're doing something every day. Um, so they're the three programs for the Achilles and the patella was similar. Uh, it was uh, primarily the eccentric program as well as the um, uh, heavy, slow resistance that we found evidence for in the, in the patella tendon. And what, what came out of this uh, review? What was the optimal exercise? I can't tell you how many times people ask that over the weekend <laughs> yeah. at Sports Congress on Twitter. Well, what's, what is yeah. optimal? Well, it's a, it's a really good question. And the uh, findings were surprising for us in, in some way because what we found, uh, although the literature must be said is limited, there are not many studies, there's no real optimal exercise program. There's no such thing. It doesn't really exist for Achilles and patella. Um, so we found uh, equivalent evidence that uh, for the heavy, slow resistance in the patella um, and even better evidence for some outcomes. And we found uh, compared to eccentric. And then we also found uh, that there was equivalent evidence for the Silbernagel combined and the... Um, uh, HSR program. Well, we didn't find the HSR program because it hadn't been published yet for the Achilles, but subsequently, Bayer in 2015 has published it also for the Achilles. So you can now say that 
for the Achilles, there's equivalent evidence for HSR uh, silvernagel combined as well as eccentric training. Um, so there's definitely no clear favourite. Um, so really, uh, what we took out of that is that looking at um, rehab for Achilles and patella, it's the principles that are really important. So the principles underlying each of these programs are far more important than whether you do it eccentric or whether you uh, do it do a certain protocol. So we try and urge people to do to think about the principles rather than a recipe or a protocol. What are the principles that we should be following for these patients? It needs to be progressive and resisted. So there needs to be some sort of progression. Um, and most people progress load at some point in the program. Um, it needs to be done for at least 12 weeks or more. Um, and uh, the other one is that uh, there needs to be a good way of monitoring pain. So we need to have some sort of pain monitoring model to make sure that we're getting people to uh, load enough, but we're not, we're not pushing them too far into symptoms and making them more irritable. So that, that were pretty much the three key principles that we, we concluded. And how monitoring pain can be tricky. So what advice do you have for clinicians to do that? Probably the best um, well-known way of doing it is the Karen Silbernagel papers where they use uh, a zero to 10 uh, scale and generally will accept anything up to five out of 10. Um, so five out of 10 is acceptable symptoms. And as long as the person is not um, uh, going beyond that during exercise, but Really, what is more important than that is the response, the 24-hour response after someone does exercise. So what we care about more so in clinic is not so much how much pain someone has when they're doing exercise. Um, of course, we care about that a little bit. But the, the key thing is to look at uh, within 24 hours, can they um, do the exercise and then come back to whatever baseline they're at? So we don't want them to flare up over 24 hours. And that's probably the more important thing. Now, how about, where, where do isometrics fall into all of this? We um, would urge caution about uh, not falling into a similar trap that we've fallen into with eccentric training, where everyone was very enthusiastic, um, possibly over-enthusiastic, and was giving uh, eccentric training for everybody because we thought it was the best thing. Uh, you know, we're in danger of doing the same thing with isometrics. We have uh, some evidence showing that they're effective for immediate pain, and that's pretty in patellar tendon and that's that's that, we don't have much else so we need to know the place of eccentric of isometrics um you know i i use them clinically and i think as an initial starting point because they're usually more tolerated than other types of exercise initially they can be really great but um, what i see in clinic also is that people just do isometrics now so there's this sort of i guess um uh, untrue belief that's starting to influence clinical behaviors and people are starting to think right um, isometrics is the new best way to do it. Let's just go for it. So we need to, we need a little bit of caution. Okay, so there's no clear-cut optimal exercise. So when you're working with, obviously working with your patients, it's individualistic, patient-dependent. Does it matter when you're seeing that patient within the timeline or progression of their tendinopathy? Um, most of your exercise and rehabilitation uh, decisions will come down to how much pain a person has and also their function. So um, if that person has 
uh, high levels of pain with low loading activities, then the starting point for rehab is obviously going to be lower load and then you're going to have to progress gradually. It's going to take longer. Um, so I talk about load intolerant people, people who are intolerant to load at various levels. Um, and those people you need to then progress the load more gradually. But then you might have someone who is tolerant to most loads and then you can progress the rehab much faster. And then it's more about functional restoration and making sure they're returning their function as well. So it's a simple way of thinking about it, but I think it's, it's, it's really the, um, the, the best way that I've come across. We don't really need to uh, worry about imaging too much when, when we're making rehab decisions. And um, uh, that, is, um, um, you know, that is a reassuring thing. And also we don't need to uh, worry too much about how long they've had it for. So you might have someone who's had it for a year, but um, they're um, you know, in relatively good shape. And another person who's had it for a year is in is in uh, not so good shape, and you need to then do a more more uh, a longer rehab and address more factors with that person. Got it. And I'm glad that you brought up the imaging because that was going to be my next question: is does imaging have a close relationship to the pain and function? Not not as far as we know from the best evidence available. So. We know that uh, imaging does relate to pain, but not very closely. Um, imaging doesn't really prognosticate, as from if you look at a lot of the evidence that is out there. One of my students is just completing a system, uh, systematic review looking at the prognostic value of uh, imaging for Achilles synopathy, where there is a lot of evidence, and there doesn't seem to be much in it. Um, it doesn't prognosticate. It, it doesn't really relate to symptoms that well. It doesn't really get better when uh, after you've had exercise treatments. Um, so really, it's um, at this point, as far as we know, it is um, not really adding much to our decisions about exercise. I mean, maybe with new types of you know UTC and shear wave, people are looking into that. That might change in the next few years, depending on what some of these studies show. Yeah, and I think it's important to mention that because oftentimes patients can get really hung up on the imaging and, and it can really prevent them from pushing forward with their rehab program appropriately. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I sort of see myself as an antidote to uh, what patients are told. I think and as clinicians, we can be that, an antidote to what they're told about how bad their tendon is usually from radiology reports and other things. And that's, and that's not uh, to say anything bad about them. That's the job of a radiology report, to pick out the pathology. But what we need to do is put that into context. And now, before we kind of wrap things up, what I would love from you is maybe just a quick synopsis of the top points to take away from uh, this conversation. Think about each patient as an individual. Uh, think about their pain, how they present their function. And then that will allow you to apply some loading that is gradual and progressive and um, um, monitor their pain during that process. Um, and that is far, far, far better and far more superior than any standard program and any recipe program that you could give them. Yeah, so there's no cookie cutter program for Achilles or patellar tendinopathy is what you're saying. All right, well, Peter, thank you so much for joining me today for this BJSM and Healthy, Wealthy and Smart podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Karen. Thanks a lot. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And everyone have a great day.